Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I'm passionate about making Christ and his church famous and about helping people develop an open-ended commitment to reading the entire Bible beginning to end and do it again and again and again. This is something I walk out with women at my church year after year. And in this podcast, this is a supplement to our scripture reading The purpose here is to help you connect with God's Word, to answer questions that you have about the Bible, and to help you find practical application in everything that God says. So we are in the middle of a mini-series in this podcast right now, Season 3, and we are talking about marriage. We are doing it through the book Song of Solomon, just taking that entire book apart. And so I'm really honored for this season to have my friend and mentor, Allison Harris, joining me. So Allison, if you don't mind, would you go ahead and introduce yourself also? Hello, my name's Allison, and I uh, am also uh, been in ministry, been married to my husband, Jerry, who's a pastor. We've been married for 40 years, so yeah, you can still, you can do it. You can survive this thing called ministry. And, uh, and so I have four grown Children, three, uh, uh, what is it, sons in love, daughter in love, two daughters in love, one son in love, and five absolutely perfect grandchildren. Awesome. And you have been married for how long? Forty. Forty years. Yes. And you and Jerry do marriage retreats we do where marriage you help re- mm-hmm. coach other couples through this? We do marriage retreats. We do about three or four uh, uh, every fall and then three or four every spring. And the biggest thing that we talked about is we just give you tools in your toolbox to learn how to communicate through all the different phases of your marriage. And if someone wanted to connect with those retreats, is that open? Is there a place they yeah, could learn can learn about that? Definitely. Just uh, reach out to you or reach out to me, and uh, we'll get you hooked up. We'll awesome. take you to our retreat center that's in the middle of a cornfield. And, yes, if we, we did build it, and they are coming. That's so awesome. I love your it. play on words. Now, we've got <laughs> three more special guest with us this week the most special over here yes (laughs) and actually these guests are often with us you all just don't get to see them because they're often behind the camera they're creating this podcast doing the editing associated with it but this week we have a couple that is still in the early years of marriage who are coming alongside for this episode, Joel Madison and their baby Nash. Would you all introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Joel. I'm the worship arts director here at Ecclesia. This is my wife, Madison. She's the assistant to our discipleship pastor, also at Ecclesia. Um, We've been married for 16 months, so a little over a year. Um, What else you want to know? The handsome little man. Tell us about the other guest that's here. This is Nash also. Um, He's new to the family. He's two months. He'll be three months on Saturday. Um, We like him a lot. We plan on (laughs) keeping him for a while. And uh, yeah, he's fun. So every week when we intro this podcast, I say I'm an advocate for all in family ministry. This is kind of what that looks like. Joel is also my nephew. Yep. And our whole family has been doing ministry together for many years, and we are super excited to see the next generation of that already sitting here teaching the Bible right (laughs) along with us. 
So we are going to jump into the next chapter of Song of Solomon, where we left off after episode three. But first, I want to just do a quick recap of what we've seen so far. So in episode one of season three, we talked about the first chapter of Song of Solomon, which gives us a picture of dating and courtship in a couple. There's the importance of attraction. The woman gives us some insight into body image issues that all of us women probably struggle with. We see the couple expressing affection for one another and also being aligned and like-minded about their future plans. So this was a great foundation that this book laid for where we start a relationship when we're dating, when we're just getting to know each other, we're experiencing that attraction. Some great truth we saw there is that that's normal. That's created by God. It's not a sin to feel that way. Sometimes in Christian culture, I think we can mistakenly think that these kinds of feelings and attractions are a sin, and they're not. They're designed by God. We moved into episode two of this season, and we looked at Song of Solomon chapters two and three, which describe the engagement of the couple. So there we saw them expressing to one another the exclusivity of their attraction. When you move into that engagement phase, you are saying, I am never again for the rest of my life going to be interested in another man, another woman. It's only you. We saw them longing for one another's presence, and this is just increasing through these first chapters of the book. But then we also saw, after the proposal, the woman kind of taking a step back, hesitating a little bit, taking time to really evaluate the relationship, make a wise decision, hopefully a prayerful decision. Is this what I want? And then her man telling her to catch the foxes. Take time as you're evaluating the relationship before you move into the covenant of marriage to notice anything that could be a fox that is going to spoil the garden. And then we also saw the couple honoring God, maintaining sexual purity, even through the engagement phase, which can often be difficult. Joel, Madison, something I admire about y'all, appreciate about your relationship is that this is how you walked that out leading up until marriage. Yeah, it was very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. Where do you want to go with that? Um, it feels so bad. I'm talking to my aunt about <laughs> sexual tension. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And you're the only guy and three girls all I around know. you. Poor, you and Nash. Yeah, so that was a conversation we had when we were just starting dating. We, we both said that there were lines we were not going to cross, and um, sex was one of them. And we held that out, and that was um, – we, we have said – to this day that that was very worth it and we hope that whatever our parents did we can do that with our children as well to the point to where they don't they're not even interested in having it before they're married okay. they're going to be interested i know but you know really, we, they, they you're leading by example yeah, yeah hopefully a good example. yes yes <laughs> and um it was even we were so careful about it that we even called my mom when i got engaged to make sure that i could post a picture of us um, kissing each other, celebrating that she said yes to being engaged to me. And I think that's adorable. Yes. And so you guys started dating when you were how old? 15, 16? Yeah, 15 and 16. So that was a long-term commitment for y'all. And that's wonderful that you walked that out. So episode three of Song of Solomon, we talked about chapters three through five, which discuss the wedding night, 
the consummation of this marriage in this couple that's described doing the same thing, waiting until that time. There we looked at the chiastic structure of this book, which is several poems, and there's a climactic center, which is the consummation of the marriage, and then inverse parallelisms that build out from that center, and we'll see some of that in today's episode because we're going to see sequences that we've already read in the poem repeated in different ways as we come into the second half of it. And that section of Song of Solomon also describes the wedding night, the ritual of lovemaking, the foreplay leading up to it, but it's described in beautiful language, not in crass terms, uh, not in a demeaning way, and it's not something bad to talk about. And that's a huge thing that we want to communicate from Song of Solomon is that romance, love, sex, these are all gifts from God. These are all things to be enjoyed as long as we're doing it under the right authority, in the right time, in the way that God directs. So we are going to now move into the next chapter of Song of Solomon, just after the consummation of the marriage, which is described in the last verse of chapter 4 and in the first verse of chapter 5. So this is where it would end if it was a movie, and we would say the couple lived happily ever after. They've had this beautiful dating, romance, engagement, a big deal wedding that was just over the top, the wedding night, and now everything's great, and they just go on with their happy lives. But that's not reality, right? Now problems come in, and the very next verse, after the consummation of the marriage, that's where the problems begin. So Allison, if you don't mind, kick us off here in 5-2. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the, of the night. I, I have taken off my robe, and I put it on again. I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh, and on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat they beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen on the wall. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Okay, so this chapter, in this part of the chapter, now we have a little drama. Uh, we have yeah. a little drama coming in. And, you know, uh, you spoke about movies before. Uh, to me, this is just sapping Hallmark Channel all over it. <laughs> it's just, you know, because she's she's not she's not into it for some reason or another. She could be pouting. She could be not feeling good. She could be mad. She could be flirting and making plan hard to get. We don't yeah. know. You can take all these scenarios and make it work, which is awesome. Because remember at the beginning we said with Song of Solomon, this is all poetry. Yes. Okay. Understand the overall story. Don't get caught up in the word by word. So um, 
we don't know where this is going. Just remember what she's talking about. She was pouting at first in verse 4 or 5, or she's upset or something. But then by 6, she's, she's, she's or the last of 5 and 6, she is ready. Yeah. But he's gone. Now, this, doesn't, this makes me think that this is not literally Solomon. Because nobody rejects the king yeah. ever for anything. Those are, that's a death march yeah. to do that. This makes me think that this is a poem about early marriage that is presented to Solomon's court for poetry, but yeah. not necessarily about Solomon, because there's no way she would be around if that were happened, and there's no way he would take her back, right? because he only had hundreds more options. So if, if what Allison read there sounds familiar, it's this dreamlike sequence, and we saw something like this before, leading up to her accepting his proposal when he first proposed to her she kind of took a step back and he's beckoning her there come out from your hiding place in the mountain but then she describes a similar scenario I was in my bed all night but I was looking for my beloved so mm -hmm. you see this picture of her going through the city and she asks the watchman have you seen him and then right after that in that first dream sequence, she finds him. But now this one's a little different. Like you said, she finally comes to the point where she is ready after initially rejecting him, turning him down. Hey, listen, I'm already asleep. I already have my robe off. I don't want to put it back on to let you in. I've already washed my feet. Don't want him to get him dirty again to come and let you in. So similar to how she was hesitant at the time of his proposal, now she is just rejecting him when he's trying to make an advance with her. And so she's in bed after that, just like after the proposal. And again, she now wants him. She's ready to pursue this. And so she goes out into the streets looking for him. But this time it plays out very differently than it did in the first dream sequence where she asked the watchman, have you seen him? And before they even have a chance to respond, she finds him. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens here, like you said, Allison, it, it isn't literally a story about something happening with Solomon because if the watchman of the city had beaten up the wife of the king, they probably would yeah. have uh, lost their lives <laughs> for that also. But I think that, that what's depicted in both dream sequences is the same in that she has been hesitant with him and now there's a fear of losing him and now she's ready to go and pursue them and that's kind of that chiastic structure we talked about where we see things that at the beginning repeated at the end and we're moving outward from the climactic center of the book which was the consummation of the marriage so what what i what i see from what you're saying tina and and what you guys are dealing with first marriage you know in your first couple years of marriage there are, there are different ways to go. When, when we do marriage retreats, we always say, don't, uh, you always win the argument in your head. So if yeah. you're arguing with your spouse, you're always going to win the argument in your head. I mean, you know, who doesn't? And then if you don't, then we need to have another discussion. I mean, right. you always win. And so it could be that with her too. I mean, she's like, okay, you were late. So if you're late, I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not going to open the mm -hmm. door. Fine. Yeah. And then she realizes, okay, maybe I, you know, she wakes up and go, okay, I'm not going to win this argument literally or figuratively, so I'm going to get up. 
that's one other one option you could try. Yeah. Which is code for don't win the argument in your head, deal with what's real. Secondly, don't live in fantasy land. Okay? Timing is everything. It doesn't matter how old you are and how long you've been married. In fact, the longer you're married, timing becomes more important than anything. Yeah. So understand that things happen. He's late. She, he's not showing up. She's pouting. She, you know. And remember, we talked about in previous episodes, men are on one top. They're on one path. Yes. And women are on eight paths at the same time. Right. And so it's so frustrating for everybody involved. <laughs> yes. And and maybe that's this scenario here. The cool thing about Song Solomon and the way God did it is that you could take all those scenarios and God is still honored and he still understands the whole time. Yes. So this initial marital problem that we're seeing them come into is that she is rejecting him. Why? Who knows? Maybe he had done something to offend her. Like you said, maybe he was supposed to be home early and she has waited for him for hours leading up to this. And now when I'm finally in bed, I'm done waiting. Dinner is cold. Now is when he chooses to show up. Yeah, and she's hot. She's living. She's yeah. like, no, we're got this going. We're going to have an argument now. <laughs> I will say to his credit that he comes in very nicely. Yes, he does. Right? He he. I mean, shows, she learned a few lessons along the way. He did. <laughs> he shows up at the door and goes, "Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one." Yeah, right? Speaking her language. Yes. <laughs> but but she's not not even having it. So. This is interesting that it's the very next thing that happens after the marriage is consummated that we have recorded in this poem. What did that look like for you guys? You've been married for 16 months. You get married. You have this beautiful wedding. You ride off into happily ever after. What's the first interruption that breaks that? Dang, I got to pay the gas bill. <laughs> Wait, I don't understand the question. I think that's my issue. Like, what's the first thing that turned our... Yeah, what was our the... beautiful, we're finally together, to... Whoa. We're going to kill each other. There, so this, is, this is real life and everything's not just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it definitely was <laughs> money. If you want to, okay. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> I got to fix this mic. Okay, for me personally, I would say uh, getting back from the honeymoon, realizing uh, now we go our separate ways to work because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we worked in different places at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we thought, you know, okay, maybe this is cool. We get a little, you know, a little break and then we come back together. I think um, going from the honeymoon straight back home is a an, an abrupt into your fantasy of uh, we get to do nothing but, you know, eat, hang out, just be yeah. together all day long, do right. whatever we want. Um, and to now, you don't live with your parents anymore. You're, you're an adult now. You're by yourself. Um, now you have to figure out life. Um, that was very hard for both of us because we went straight from pretty much uh, children to adults. Yes. You know, in a sense. And I'd say that was the biggest stop for us. Like, okay, now we got we to gotta grow up overnight pretty much. You yeah. Know? Did you come home from work and knock on the door and she wouldn't let you in? No, I had a key, thankfully. But <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, well, that... this guy had a key, too, and she pretty much uh, figured out a way around that one. Yeah. <laughs> and we had one car. 
Yeah. So I think that's that's definitely a place where marital problems can quickly arise is when you're short on resources, yeah. right? One car, don't have a lot of money, both of you are working, especially you're working in separate places, and that that financial strain, that can create such a difficult space in a new marriage. I think it can also in retrospect, create a special space. Mm-hmm. I identify with that. That was very much mine and my husband's scenario. When we first got married, we shared a car. We shared a phone. Uh, we were very poor, and and it was difficult. It didn't feel fun in the moment. I think now, 20 years later, we look back on that time with with some endearment, yeah. you know, when we didn't have furniture, so we were sitting on the floor eating ramen noodles. As popcorn. As popcorn, yeah. That that's a tip for when you're newlywed and poor. If you can't afford the popcorn, mm-hmm. you just bust up the ramen noodle packet, dump the seasoning on it, eat it crunchy, and watch a movie. For us at that time was a movie that we had recorded on a VHS tape <laughs> at his parents' house because they had cable. So we would record the movies on VHS tapes while they were at work during the day, get the VHS out of their um you don't even know what that means, do you? VHS? Yeah. Kind of. I've okay. seen uh, pictures of them. Yeah. It was like a tape. <laughs> you don't know what that is either. Yeah. It was a thing like what you put stuff down where you with. could put a movie on it, like uh, a DVD. Do you know what that is? Mm-mm. Okay. I'm just messing with her. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great poor tip, a great uh, new marriage tip. Yeah. Ramen noodles is popcorn. So, yeah, we look back on that now. And we're like, oh, you know, that that was sweet. But it didn't feel sweet in the moment. Mm-mm. It felt stressful, and it was a strain on our marriage. So I, I understand uh, understand that feeling. Um, but even that, I would just encourage you, if you let it not break you under the stress and strain of it, one day it will be something you look back on and go, you know what, if we could get through that, yeah. we can get through anything. It can be a refining point in your marriage that strengthens you. So whatever the case of what uh, this the wife is going through, there's some things we can learn from, from her. Um, sex is important. It's important to men, and it's important to women. What that looks like is can be polar opposite. Yeah. And uh, figuring that out is the adventure of marriage. Yeah. Up, down, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful. It that's that's the that's the gist of that. And so, but it is still very important. Um, women, godly women pursuing Jesus in their life, uh, withholding sex is not godly. Right. I understand if there's trauma, or there is trauma, or there's history there or you're in a very unhealthy marriage. I understand those are exceptions, so we're going to put all those exceptions and move them to a little bit aside. Generally speaking, it is not a good idea for the wife to use sex as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, Figure it out. Talk about it. Communicate about it. Uh, And communicate has to be more than the four four words, which is fine. Nothing. Uh, Whatever. Uh, And the uh, ultimate... (sighs) <sighs> sigh okay those are the four <laughs> things that's not communication okay 
Uh, silent treatment does not work. Right. Um, it might work in the moment. You'll pay in the long run. Yes. So um, figure that out. Uh, talk it out. Work it out. Now, I do understand that everybody sometimes needs to take a break, especially men. Because in that frontal lobe, they're going to they're gonna react first and respond later. And if they need to react and go take a walk, fine. Yeah. If they, you need to tell them you're coming back. If they need to get in the car and go, fine. But you need to tell them you're coming back. And you need to come back. You don't need to be gone. You have to communicate. Yeah. And same if, if a woman is a, you know, has a temper. You know, show some mutual respect in your communication so that eventually you can get back to sex, which is a another form of communication. The last one is the one I, I really want to focus on is that we cannot be self-focused in our, in our marriage and especially when it comes to communicating. Self-focus can be, and understandably so, it is a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. Totally understand that. That means we've got some insecurities that we need to talk to God with and we need to talk to our spouse with. And those will never go away. They will be manageable and you might be able to overcome some, but there will all be always be some level of insecurity that mm -hmm. you're going to have to work through. Um, but when we're self-centered is when we make these arguments in our head that we will win in our head and lose in reality. So try trust that God knows what's best for you and loves you, even when your spouse doesn't or when you don't love yourself. And same thing for the, uh, for the man in that situation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that women especially have the ability to control the thermostat in this area. I think it's generally true of men that they're going to take the path of least resistance. They're not coming in necessarily looking for a fight. They probably just want peace so they can relax. Mm -hmm. And we women are the ones who will often create a fight do you do you guys find this to be true who starts the fight <laughs> so I know for me personally if if there is ever an argument it is because you have refused to talk about you know the situation because I am very much one that I would just want to talk about it and get it over with you know handle it right then and there you're one that kind of just wants to apologize and be done with it and not actually talk about it and that just doesn't work for me sometimes. <laughs> right. The path of least resistance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I relate to that. Something that made mine and Matt's first year, maybe first years of marriage very difficult was that I wanted to talk something to death. Mm -hmm. I wanted to unpack it, get to the bottom of it. And often when I was moving into that space, I knew I knew I was picking a fight. And at some point along the way, I began to stop and go, that really wasn't worth it. You know, after you get in a fight and then it's awkward for a few days, you're like two days into it. And I'm going, that wasn't worth it. <laughs> Why did I do that? And, and I finally started like having a, a moment of reflection where I think I know what's going to happen next. Is it really worth it? Is this really something that I want to start a fight over. And Matt was path of least resistance. He didn't want to fight with me. When we were dating, if I started arguing with him, he would hang up on me. That's, <laughs> what, so that's what Joel would do too. <laughs> it made me 
furious. Yes. Yeah, we tell we tell couples that should be mm-hmm. one of the rules in your marriages. Every marriage has rules. Like, you know, yeah. and one of them should be you cannot hang up on each other. Well, it's because he he just was not looking to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I had to really yeah, but you get a bigger fight when you do yes, that. Yeah, it did. It did. The fire. I would call him back. Excuse me. <laughs> but I have you taken a cue from it. Now, if we get into an argument, if we're at home, um, which we we have an an agreement, we don't argue at home if our kids are home. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't walk that out perfectly, but we really try to. And if we do it, then we do apologize to our kids. Because it's just not something that should be on them. It's not a weight that they should carry. But if, if we're at home alone, we get into an argument, sometimes one of us will just go for a walk for a minute. And and I've taken that cue from him. That's not something I ever would have reasoned that I should do on my own. I just want to fight. I'm yeah. a fighter. I'm sort of scrappy. But I've learned, like, okay, no, he doesn't want to fight. Just take a minute. And, and that's what he was doing and yeah. hanging up on me way back then. I just didn't understand it at the time. I thought it. We've even implemented at his age. Like, yeah. we raise our voices in front of him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we have a rule now where there's a sign that we have to drive by to go into our neighborhood, and that sign is where it stops. Absolutely. And that's a boundary that we've had to increasingly move because used to we'd get in a fight in our bedroom, yeah. and that's the terrible thing because that's a sacred space right we're reading a lot about a garden here in song of solomon that's the garden and now you've made the garden awkward so it started by us going we will not argue in the bedroom so we moved it downstairs (laughs) well there the kids can still hear it so then we are not gonna argue in the house well now we move it outside the neighbors think we're nuts right (laughs) so now (laughs) we've increasingly moved the boundary so that our neighborhood entrance sign is the place. And sometimes his blinker is on and I go, oh, we're not done. And we have to circle around one more time. It's <laughs> well, not hey, time to pass the neighborhood sign yet. driving. We have to actually yeah. stop the car yeah. and turn it off because we're going to be here a while. <laughs> I mean, you know, we both married pastors, so yes. we know how to communicate very well. And for us, we have to... When the kids were younger, we do not now, but when the kids were younger, we did the same thing. We had to go take a drive. Like if my car could talk, it'd be <laughs> it would be ugly. Yes. But we'd have to find a place that we didn't think anybody would notice us, because then it would be, oh, the pastor and his wife are having a fight, you know. Yeah. And half of them would be thrilled, and the other half would be devastated. So, <laughs> you know, find a park or something where nobody's going to notice, and if you know, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's important in your marriage that you develop rules on how to fight fair. You know, Mm -hmm. for him, I needed to tell him, I need you not to hang up on me. That communicates that you don't care about me at all. And he had to say, when I tell you and I can't keep going, I need you to stop. Don't pound an issue to Mm -hmm. death. Just take a break. So those are rules that you have to figure out. But what we learn from this Song of Solomon account is, Withholding sex is not going to fix it. The silent treatment or creating distance between you and your spouse is not going to fix it. Doing that, which is kind of what we see her doing here, really is only creating a space for Satan to work in your marriage. And Paul actually talks about that. I want to just read this scripture while we're here. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. 
says the husband should fulfill his marital duty to the wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So there's a Holy Spirit-inspired warning from the Apostle Paul that creating distance is not the way we're going to solve and work out these marital problems that we experience. So that's where the couple is at this point in the poem. She's put some distance there. We don't know why she's mad. Maybe it's justified. Maybe it's not. But she's not answering the door. And by the time she is over it, she's cooled down. She's warmed up to his advances. Now he's gone. And so she's out looking for him. She goes out into the city, asks the watchman, have you seen him? And rather than finding him like she did in the first dream sequence, here she's beaten and her cloak is taken away. And, you know, something we've been talking about is we're not trying to read this as any kind of literal historical narrative. It's all poetry. So maybe what is being talked about here is the, the awful feeling of the anxiety, mm-hmm. the angst that we create when we allow this distance to arise between us and our spouses. Like if, if I've been in a good fight with my husband, once I've cooled down and it's the next day and it's still awkward between us and we're not talking to each other lovingly, yeah, I mean, the watchmen, I just, they may as well have beat me up. Yeah. That's a terrible feeling to be mm-hmm. distant from him when you want to be reconciled to him. So where are they going to go from here? That's the setup. And now this chorus of friends who just always show up at the right time to say something, they appear in the poem in 5-9 and they say, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others so that you charge us? Because remember, she has charged them If you see him, tell him I'm faint with love. My affections have been renewed. I want to reconcile with him. And then they say, well, what's so great about him? And what they're doing here is instructive for us. They're inviting her to consider what she loves so much about him. And I think we can see that because of the way that they address her. How is your beloved better than others? Most beautiful of women. Well, that's what he calls her. They're reminding her of of the affirmation and the adoration that he has already showered on her that we've been reading throughout this book. And they are inviting her to remember why she loves him so much and get over herself here. And then she responds. And she responds. Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ready, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water stream, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon's choice as its cedar. His mouth is, is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. So what we tell people in our 
marriage retreat is to make a discipline of yourself is to remember the good things. Yeah. Remember the positive things, especially the longer that you've been married, especially the drama and the trauma that come in, especially if you're a blended family and the, and the, the rules that you navigate in that is, is a, is a map of like Atlanta. I mean, there's just so many off ramps on that one. So focus on why do I remember, why did I marry you? Why did I marry you again? And when you discipline yourself like that, you'll say three less words that you wish you hadn't said than you would say. Yeah. Or and and then for a man, when it when 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 the temper subsides, and the frontal lobe goes back to working as a normal man should, and those are all biological. That he can't help that, ladies. So give him a break there. Um, you know, when that goes back to being normal, then he also remembers. Oh yeah, why? Yeah. You know. So. Do you guys find that it was easier when you were dating to look past any shortcomings in one another than now that you're married? Um, no, I definitely I think when we were dating it was a lot harder. You know, just because when we were dating there was really only like one day a week that we saw each other. So yeah. throughout the week, like any of those shortcomings could really build up mm-hmm. and become, I guess, more intense. Yeah. And I guess make the fire bigger. And yeah. if any little thing happened, we would we would really get into it. So now that we're together all the time, it's like constantly yeah. reminder. That's cool. Yeah. Well, this is a great this is a great truth for us when we are struggling in our marriages that we go back and we remember and we recount. What do I love about this person? Mm-hmm. What's amazing about them? And focus on the positive. In our marriages, we can start noticing shortcomings and, and letting our thoughts stay there rather than thinking of all the ways that our spouse is good, which is what this woman does here. She answers her friends by describing him in great detail and just everything that she loves about him, everything that she finds attractive about him. And, you know, I, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but when you're not feeling it, go back and remember when you did and mm-hmm. why you did and lean into that because the the Cinderella story, the happily ever after, is not the default setting. It's not the realistic setting. We see that in this marriage that just after it's consummated starts to experience some strife, but it is possible when we're willing to sacrifice, not be self-focused, like Allison said, when we're willing to serve one another, and when we're intentional about working through all our problems. So lessons that we can learn from Chapter 5 of Song of Solomon about overcoming conflict in our marriages is don't make excuses to neglect your spouse. Don't do it. If you're already in bed, get up out of bed. Maybe he had to work late. Mm -hmm. Receive him anyway. Love him anyway. Focus on the positive be thankful. He's at work earning a living so that he can provide for the family. Don't withhold time, attention, intimacy. That's not going to produce anything except space that gives Satan a place to get a foothold in your marriage. And focus on the positive to rebuild the marriage when there's conflict and to maintain the marriage through the happily ever after. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We are going to continue through Song of Solomon in our next episode where we will talk about what happens next. They've made it through their first fight 
and now there is a call to long-term faithfulness. Unfortunately, the Bible gives us a picture of that too. So we will see you back next week.